chapter 4. In chapter 3, last time, great study there at the very end, he's talking about the veil that was on Moses. And remember, he says that Moses's face in the Old Testament was dimming. So he wore this veil. But now in our hearts, the light, when you come to the Lord, it's a, it's a flicker. It's a little, it's a candle, but it grows brighter and brighter as you live your life for the Lord. And that's true. I've got more grace in me today than I had 20 years ago walking with the Lord. And so we learn, we grow. So now he comes to chapter 4, verse 1. This is a short chapter today. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not, or we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Ministry there in the Greek, that's not the ministry, the job. So you're thinking, oh, I'm going to check out because that's not my job. This means personal ministry. So he's going, since we have this personal ministry, every person here today, uh, anyone, we, we've got our personal ministry. What did God call you to do personally? And... Um, he says, since you have it and you've received mercy, then don't lose heart. Now, in the last chapter, we also talked about Paul saying that he was sincere. And remember that word meant no wax on his nose, which, you know, what's that about? And remember I told you about the statues and they would cover the little places where the guy's, the statue's nose halfway fell off with wax. Looked good until it got hot in the sun and then it fell apart. Well, the idea here, and then he also talked about in the last chapter, the smell, the fragrance, like when a Christian walks in a room, you ought to smell like something. Well, all of that leads to this point where he's saying, since we have this ministry, a personal, real ministry, we don't have wax in our nose, you know, it gets a little, a little heat, we're not going to melt, you know, it's, it's real, it's not fake. Um, and then look at verse 2, this is what he's renounced, this is why it's not fake anymore. It's not walking in craftiness. He doesn't say not saved, doesn't say not a Christian, but he says there's some people out there, not underline that in my Bible, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. This isn't talking about the ungodly out there that don't know the Lord. This is talking about, unfortunately, a lot of teachers, self-appointed teachers, a lot of Bible study leaders that are walking in craftiness and they are handling the word of God deceitfully. Well, what is that all about? See, sometimes we get in this thing of, well, it's false doctrine or it's, and you say, well, I can tell the difference. Can you? You see, what they do is they, is they sometimes are deceived themselves. I've learned this through the years. I used to think if you're a false teacher, you got the spirit of Satan in you. You're not a Christian. And what I have found is that is not exactly true. You can be a Christian and you're deceived because you read a great book. Oh, man. That thing really witnessed to me. And you pull something out of that book and then you take it as the gospel truth when it's the book truth. And, and it can even sound good. There's some, and I wrote a few of these things down because this is what people will tell you in the ministry. They'll say things like, um, I wrote them down here somewhere. Ah, yes. Um, it'll be like uh, if you say and come out and say, you know what? Everybody in the world 
is supposed to have a Paul, and everybody should have a Timothy. Okay, well, that little phrase, it's, it's real popular right now in Christian uh, folklore, but it's not accurate. Why? Because that's not biblical. Now, the teacher thinks it is because it sounds great, and there's aspects of it that are true. But in reality, that's not biblical. The Bible never says Paul had a Paul. Huh, interesting. I thought everybody was supposed to have a Paul. Paul had no Paul. Who was Paul's Paul? Jesus Christ. He says, it says so, that he took him out into the wilderness, and Jesus himself taught Paul. Oh, okay, well, we kind of blew that one out of the water. Does everybody have a Timothy? No. Who was Timothy's Timothy? You know what happened to Timothy? Church history records it. Uh, he went out, he was a pastor in Ephesus years later. The, uh, they, they went back to witchcraft. So he goes out in the street and he says, hey, y'all need to get rid of this. It was his church people, which, you know, I mean, that's failed ministry right there. Your church all quits listening to you and, you know, turns to witchcraft. So he goes out in the street and he says, guys, you got to stop this. And they beat him to death in the street. So my point is, is like, well, that's history. Where was Timothy's Timothy? They beat him to death. So that doesn't work. Well, you see, that sounded good, but it didn't hold water. Be careful because people teaching, they'll teach you great little sayings. But when I go to my word, I don't see it. The Bible teaches me, and what Paul said was not, Paul, you know, I needed my Paul. That's why I failed. No, he says, imitate me while I imitate Christ. Isn't that interesting? He says, here's what I need. In quarantine time, when you don't have Bible studies and church and all your friends and coffee shops and this and that and the other, what are you left with? Some people are getting hysterical out there, miserable, because they're at the house. Who's at the house with them? Themselves. And they, they, they just, they're going miserable with themselves, going batty. Have Jesus Christ in your corner. If you have Jesus, it's all okay. You can go through literally hell on earth and you're okay. And, and I'm saying that because that's what Scripture says. L- listen to this as we keep reading, because that's what Paul, if Paul got to the end of his life, he said, oh, how was your life? Was it victorious with Jesus? He'd gone, no. No, actually, it was hell on earth, and I welcomed the end. The best part of his life was going, now I get to go to heaven. Next week, we'll actually be looking at that in the next chapter. He's like, to not be present here is to be present with the Lord. Amen. So he's, he's at that done point. And that's how we get in life. You know, when you're 18, if something happens to you, you panic. <gasps> I'm sick. I got to get well. You know, you get up a little older and you're just like, take me now. Just, just get it over with. I'm ready to go home. You know, and, and I love life. I'm not saying that. But you do get to a point where you're like, this isn't working out so well. I will pay taxes to the day I die. They have engineered this to where you make the money and they take it all away from you. And then the medical expenses are just Right. At the end of life, you can save. If you do really well in life, according to the financial planners, you save your million bucks. Guess what? The medical societies around our country will take it from you in the last five years of life. And the funeral home's there to take their share right at the end. You know, I mean, it's just that's the way it is. There's no hope here. So go home and be happy today. Anyway, um, our hope is in Jesus Christ. I mean, why am I here doing this? Because I looked at the rest of it. And frankly, there's so little hope out there. You know, and you put all your hope in a spouse and then you get married. I mean, I don't know what I did so right to deserve mine, but I don't know what she did to deserve me. Uh, I mean, she did something wrong. Um, But, you know, so you're not going to get saved through your spouse, you know. 
Now, back to our, our scriptures, though. He says, look, we've got a personal ministry. Personal ministry is great. But we don't lose heart in it because we've renounced the hidden things of shame. No more cute sayings in the church and all that. We're not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. We're just going to shoot you straight. Um, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you don't understand the gospel, it's because you do not want to understand the gospel. Let me just tell you real straight. The gospel is Jesus. The whole Old Testament points ahead and says Jesus is coming and he's going to die for you on the cross. He's going to be buried. And then this is the cool part. He's going to be raised to walk again. He's going to be resurrected. The Bible says he's the first fruits. So you say, that's hard to believe, exactly. And that's about 2,000 years we've been saying, can you believe it? Now, we just studied through it in 1 Corinthians where it says the witnesses, over 500 people saw him. Over 500. Plus, it says the disciples saw him. Uh, and then through the years, now they have, have, have shared that for 2,000 years to the rest of us. So if you don't want to believe their reports, any court of law in the United States would take that many witnesses and eventually say, the judge would say, enough. We have proven the case. Jesus died. He was buried and he resurrected. He came back from the dead. A court would prove that. Yet people all around say, I wonder, did it happen? I don't know if I can believe that. Believe it or not, that's what the Bible says and uh, and, you know, you can even look at, at, I bought a new book the other day. It's about that thick. And uh, it's the complete works of Josephus. And you think, why would you do that? Hey, I love it. Um, the thing, it's, it's all of his works, all in English, you know, because he wrote this thing. Uh, he was contemporary with Jesus in that time period. And contemporary really right past Jesus because he was a friend of Titus Vespasian, which you all know who he is. Um, now, he... <laughs> was a Roman commander who was in charge of the invasion during the, the Jewish uh, uh, Roman wars. Uh, in the, let's see, it was the third war that he was in, because there were three wars, kind of like World War I, II, and we hope not three. Uh, but it, it's the Judo-Roman wars, one, two, and three. So the third one, Rome had had it with the Jews. They invaded, and he was in charge of the conquest of Jerusalem. So Josephus in AD 70 was there to witness all that and all the crucifixions and all of that stuff. Really interesting because, you know, they just got mad at the Jews. Of course, Josephus was friends with Jews, but he obviously was uh, by Titus Vespasian's side during the conquest recording all that history for us. But he backed up and, and wrote history down from the beginning of the world forward. So that big book, it's just, it's really cool. If you ever, if you ever want to, you know, bore yourself with a lot of Jewish history. It's in there, but there's also a lot of just nuggets um, buried throughout there. Uh, and the, here's the cool thing. The guy was not a believer to the end, but he recorded, yep, Jesus was here. Jesus did miracles. Jesus died and Jesus resurrected, but I don't believe in him. There you go. I mean, that, that is as smart and brilliant as he was, stupid that you can have proof in front of you and you choose to believe something else 
but no more stupid than most people are today roaming around the world. We have it in front of us, and we choose not to believe it. So, back to the scripture. Look at this, and this is proving my point. Uh, the gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing. Those people, they just don't get it. Whose minds the God of this age, that is Satan, uh, known by many names, he has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, it's sort of like when you shine a flashlight in a room of rats. You know, what do they do? Come running to the light? Hey, it's the light. No, the rats run. Now, here's the thing. You know, and of course, growing up out in the country, um, back west, don't here there's enough population. You, I, don't, I haven't seen it since we've been living here. But out west, uh, we lived out on a large ranch there. And uh, my closest neighbor was 10 miles away. And, and uh, they worked for me. So it was still on the same place. But um, the, in the spring of the year, and I'm not real sure, but they're, they're called Miller Moths out there. Um, and it has something to do with the mesquite bushes when they start blooming. Uh, these things start hatching. And, I mean, it's like a locust infestation when they hit your house. But at night, you know, when there's no lights, and that's my point. Here there's enough population. I think they spread out. Nobody really gets hit like they do out there. But at night, if your lights are on in the house, you just start hearing this on all your windows. And they come from miles around. And they start crawling through your windows, anywhere they can get into your house to go to the light. So they, I mean, they're just attracted to light. And um, so you learn to go to bed early. That's really the, the fix. Um, we'd also get these, you know, like a wash tub, and you fill it somewhat full of water and put some soap in it and uh, hang a light over it outside. And you'll, you can fill that up with moths, just killing them, just trying to get them out of the, the area. Um, especially out of your house or something. And, I mean, that's, that's what you do out in the country for entertainment. You drown moths. But anyway, um, just trying to make it. But they really, they get in everything. They clog up. Back in those days, we had swamp coolers, you know, for your air conditioners. And uh, they'd get into those things, trying to get in your house. I mean, anyway, and they'd, they'd ruin your mats, you know, on there. And then they, when they die in the water that's in those swamp coolers, they die and they start rotting. So then you kick your air on, you're like, what is that smell? It's just, you know, it's disgusting. But my point is, the whole story is one point. Um, rats run. You go into the barn, turn the lights on, the rats run. But the moths, they're drawn to the light. And so as a Christian, though we don't like the moths, as a Christian, the example is some people are naturally drawn to the light. You tell them about Jesus and they go, tell me more. The next guy, he says, I'm running from this as hard and fast as I can. And uh, so you don't want to be a rat, you want to be the moth. Um, you know, interesting, in Matthew, to tie this together for you, there's a parable of, of the sower and the seed, remember? And there's four types of soil, and it says there, Jesus says, that represents the different types of people. The seed, he later says, that represents the Word of God. Same seed, four different kinds of people. So do we change our gospel for different kind of folks? No. We say... Here's the gospel, and you throw the seed out there, and you just hope that some of it sticks, you see. Um, and so uh, that's what Paul's saying here. Now, the church today would say there's a problem with the sower. 
It's the way you're teaching it. It's what you're putting forth. Um, there's not enough lasers. There's not enough uh, lights. There's not enough pizzazz, you know, and all that. I'm not up here, you know, going back and forth, back and forth and screaming or something. We need to do something different. That's going to reach the people. I say, no, the word of God is the seed. We're going to teach the word and let it fall. I'm not even into the whole convicting messages. I just like to teach the word because then truly that empowers you to go out there and you're armed with the word. One-on-one ministry is amazing. And that's really, that's how Jesus spread the word of God. Uh, It's how one-on-one, the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria. I mean, all these people where Jesus spread the word. Yes, he taught the masses, but most of the time it was the one-on-one. And that's where our ministry is going to be today in many, many ways. So uh, verse uh, 4, the Satan's blinded everybody. Verse 5, we don't preach ourselves. Uh, So he's back on the, let's look at the pastor here. What are we putting forth? What is the seed? Well, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Don't proclaim yourself. What does that mean? What does that mean? We don't talk about ourselves? Well, we use our testimony for sure. What's Jesus done in me? Because that's all I've got. What did Jesus do in me? But we don't preach programs. We don't preach principles unless it's doctrine from the Word. But we don't preach our principles. Um, In other words, well, this is how Justin deals with grief. Oh, how does the Word deal with grief? Or this is how Justin deals with trials. You don't want to know how I deal with it. Trust me, ask my wife. You do not want to know how I deal with trials. Uh, that's, that's something I'm having to learn. You see, you want to know when you come to church, what does the Bible say about dealing with these things and what's God doing in my life? That's what you want to know. Um, we don't want to know how Justin conquers this or that. I want to know how does Jesus conquer this or that, you see. Um, again, 10-step programs, 5-step programs, 7 steps to spiritual health, all of that stuff. Toss it. I want the Word of God. The Word of God. That's it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. This is what he said when he first, Paul said when he first came to Corinth. And he had been at Athens where he tried to talk to them with fancy talking and all that. And he said, man, Athens didn't work. So now he comes to Corinth on his missionary journey. And he says there, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he says, well, why don't we go back to square one? And I just want to teach Jesus. Every Bible study you do, if you'll look hard enough, you can see Jesus in it. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking and he's been resurrected. So he's walking down the path. These two dudes come walking along and they're both griping and whining saying, man, we just came from Jerusalem. Jesus has been uh, killed, uh, bad times. And Jesus, they don't recognize him. He says, oh, well, tell me about it. And they're like, oh, you haven't heard? They took Jesus, they crucified him. It's all over. And uh, they're very down. And it says there, Jesus started talking to them, which is really cool. You're getting this Bible study from Jesus. And uh, he says, it says there, he started in the Old Testament and coming through, pointing out pictures of himself. And so what he was doing, he was saying, hey, did you see in Genesis when they're talking uh, the, the serpent, you know, and God's down and all that happened, they sinned. Did you see how that God said right there that the woman would bruise uh, or that Satan would, would uh, bruise the heel, but that, that the foot of man is going to end up crushing the serpent? Did you see that little picture? 
that that's one of the seed of the woman, seed singular, by the way, would crush the snake. Well, the snake with the serpent representing Satan, the seed singular of a woman. See, there's no seed of a woman. Think this through. Uh, in order to have a baby, we all know biology, it takes two. Okay, well, in the Hebrew, in that phrase, the, the cool thing that's said there is the seed singular of the woman. Jesus born from Virgin Mary. So it was the, there was one part of him human and the, fathered by the Holy Spirit, you see. Amazing. So in the very first part of Genesis, so, so there, those guys on the road to Emmaus would have been like, okay, well, I see that. Tell us more. And Jesus would have said, well, did you see the story about Joseph? Yeah, what about it? Yeah, that's a truck. CB radio. Uh, so there in Joseph, when that story, they would have said, well, hey, uh, when you're looking at that story, you see that Joseph, with all his brothers, he was despised, and they gave him up to be killed. Interesting. That kind of reminds me of Jesus. And then he went down to uh, uh, Egypt, sold into slavery down there. But then that brother raised, raised uh, in a new life. He ended up saving his brethren. Interesting little picture of Jesus, wouldn't you say? Um, And then he says, okay, well, I'm starting to get the drift. What about, tell us more. And he says, well, what about Moses? What about him? Moses, another picture of Christ. He goes into Egypt. He, he, he's down there. One thing that's interesting is that Moses didn't marry a Hebrew. Jesus, his bride, which we know in the New Testament that his bride is the church, Gentiles. Interesting that Moses marries this woman, Zipporah, I think is her name. Zipporah, not a Jew, a Gentile. Interesting picture, I would say. Then leaves to go and deal with Egypt, which is what is going to happen during the tribulation. He leaves the church. The church is in heaven. He comes, he deals there in Egypt, and he brings his people out of bondage. Interesting. And he does it with these plagues. What are these plagues? Uh, Where have we seen that before? Jesus working with Israel through a bunch of plagues. Kind of reminds me of the tribulation a little bit. Uh, And then he leads his people (laughs) to the promised land. I mean, come on. So at this point, these guys on the road to Emmaus are going, oh man, I never saw all this before. And it says there in the Gospels, their eyes were opened as Jesus was talking to them. They were seeing these things, but not until he's sitting there and eating bread with them. And he says, let's pray and break the bread. And I'm sure at that point when he broke the bread and they could see his hands and the scars, that all of a sudden they went, oh my, this is Jesus. And about that time, boom, he's gone. He disappears. Well, that was an interesting meal. What do you say after that? Like, well, that just happened. You know, I mean, what, what do you do? Uh, you know, I, that would have been pretty cool. But you see, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. The whole thing. Jesus himself said it. So any Bible study you do, anything that I do, encourage people with Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. We have nothing. Go home. Die from Corona. I don't care. We're all toast, you know? That's where the world is today. We're all toast. Let's all go shoot each other, get corona, riot, tear everything up. There's no hope. It's only with Jesus that we have hope. And so Jesus gave us that hope. Paul says, I'm going to 
do the same thing. Uh, God commanded light to shine out of darkness. He's shown in our hearts, and he's given light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And that's kind of the downward spiral here. <laughs> We've got this amazing story, and then I'm just me. Earthen vessel. He's talking about our bodies. We have this in us. Um, but there's a reason why he said, I want to tell the world about the omnipotent power of God through you. Because I don't want... See, if it had been angels, if he had said, I'm going to send Gabriel, and Gabriel is going to light up the night sky every night and say, this is the gospel to the world, what would we all be amazed at? The angel lighting up the bright sky, you see. If he came in these amazing ways to people, we would be amazed at the amazing ways, not amazed at the simple story. So he says, here's the deal. I've decided that I am going to empower with my spirit people to do personal ministry, one-on-one, to teach the word, put my word in them. It's just going to flow through um, these earthen vessels. Now, you think, but I'm nobody. He knows that. Psalms 103, 14. He knows my frame. He remembers that we are dust. So if you think too highly of yourself and you think, I, you know, I, I'm something, he goes, no, you're a dirt bag. You're literally a dirt bag. And I'm going to use you anyway. That's what's so cool about this. And he says that. We, but we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So it's going to be through what you hear today. You're not going to go home and think, oh, Justin, man, he's a man's man. He really knows his stuff. He's amazing. Now you're going to say, man, the scripture today, the truth of the word of God, that's what's going to resonate. And it's going to resonate more when you hear somebody else. Have you ever noticed when God wants to talk to you, you come to church and I speak on it. Doesn't matter where we are in scripture. It ends up coming up and you're like, ah, God, leave me alone. So you think next week, I'm just going to listen to the radio. So you turn on somebody on the radio and they talk about it. You can turn on a Christian financial counselor, you know, and they're talking about the same strain, the thing God's trying to tell you through all these sources. And then you have a friend that says, hey, meet me for coffee. Fine. As long as you don't talk about the Bible. Fine. And they sit down and say, you never believe what God's doing in my life right now. And here it comes. And it's the same thing. And you know what? That's God using all these different people to speak to you and tell you something. Amazing how God uses us. Now, I was telling you, this isn't, this isn't a whole lot of fun uh, walking with the Lord sometimes. Look at, what, look at what Paul has to say here. You know, if you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, it's, it's hard times. Uh, serving the Lord should be easier. It should be better. I, my life should look different. He says, well, we are hard-pressed on every side. That means kind of like a, you know, like a block of cheese. It's like it's, it's squeezing me on every side. There's no out. Yet we're not crushed. That's interesting. You're hard-pressed, but not crushed. We are perplexed. You ever been perplexed trying to follow the Lord? Lord, what are you doing? He, he says, yeah, that's fine, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I love that, because I would say, God will never let you fall. Well, he just now said, struck down. That means, yep, there might be times as you walk with the Lord when you feel like you're completely on your face, you have fallen. Not, I'm going to fall, or it's your fault you didn't hold me up, or all of this mess that gets going. Simply, 
you're going to fall flat on your face. And when that happens, know that you're not destroyed. Now, does that mean your body's not destroyed? Possibly not. But you're not destroyed. Your heart, your soul, there's something coming after this. There's a hope in us that the world doesn't have. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ also may be made manifested in our body. Um, I don't like that text. I mean, who does? It's a depressing list, but he ends with saying he gets through it all with what? Philosophy and self-help sermons? You know, no. He says he gets through it all because of the dying of the Lord Jesus. Jesus died for me, and he rose again. And I am hanging on to that hope. No matter what else happens in life, they can kill me. And at the end, I know that I may, my body may die, but I am still alive. My soul is the Lord's. Hold on to that hope, because it may come to that. It may come to that. If you don't believe me, pick up this cool little book for a Sunday afternoon read called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It just goes through all these horrendous murders and, uh, that have happened for 2,000 years to everybody who loves Jesus. It's horrible what they've done to people. Um, it could be you. It, it says it right here. You're going to go through some stuff as a Christian. That is a false doctrine. If you go to a church and they tell you, you, you come to the Lord and it's victory in Jesus. It's victory in your heart. It's a victory for where, it's, it's a hope for where we're going. doesn't mean you're going to have the rosiest of life, but you're going to have hope where the whole world is hopeless. Uh, so, he says, verse 11, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death's working in us, but life in you. Now, I like the New Living Translation of this. I'm going to read it to you. That, those two verses says, Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So this is really for Paul. I hope this doesn't apply to all you guys. We're living with constant death hanging over our head. But for Paul on the mission field, he was always under the gun. They were always after him, but he said, that's fine, because even though they're after me in my life, me doing this as sharing the gospel and giving you a chance to accept the word. So he said, so I'm fine with it. What do I, what's my takeaway for today? We should be willing to lay our life down. We lay it down in a lot of different ways in America today. You know, For instance, my uh, weekends, I lay my life down so that I can do this. Um, not exactly on the same level that Paul is, but my Saturday afternoon, I love naps, but you know, you end up uh, saying, well, I got to study. I've got to get this ready to go so I can get here, and then I have to come Sunday. You have a, you have a choice. I really don't. And I've got to be here one way or the other, somebody's got to give a message, you know, up here. As long as we, as long as God wants these doors open, you got to do this. And uh, so that's laying your life down. If you commit to doing a Bible study, I'll say this: there's going to be two forces work on you with any ministry you undertake. It could be as personal ministry as saying, "Hey, well, come out and go fishing with me, or go shooting with me," and and I'm going to talk to you about the Lord and just kind of pour into your life a little bit. Trust me, two forces will come to work, whether it's a one-on-one or whether it's church. Uh, being a pastor. Doesn't matter. Two forces. One force is the Holy Spirit. You better have him or it's all going to fail. He will empower you for the ministry. You say, well, what's the other force? Satan, the evil one, or one of his little minions. Okay? And they will come up against you. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to do a battle in your mind. They're going to say you can't do it. They're going to say you shouldn't do it. 
They're going to say that you're worn out and tired. And this little list, you're going to feel hard-pressed. You'll feel like all of a sudden, and I don't even know if it's much of a, of a pressing as a cheese grater. You know, I feel like you're just rubbed against a cheese grater for most of your life going, goodness, you know, I'm being shredded while you're trying to do this, spiritually speaking. Um, but the enemy will come against you. But this is great verses because you're going to be hard-pressed but not crushed as long as the Holy Spirit's there with you. But it could look a little funky, okay, as you serve the Lord, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's worship ministry, whether whatever it is, or, or being a pastor. Um, so, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Gospel simple, is it not? He goes on again talking about the resurrection. He believes in Jesus. Look, don't do ministry if you don't believe. And what I mean by that is not you have some idea of what you believe. You've got to believe it unto death because you will believe it unto death. You see, everybody thinks you believe in Jesus and it's going to save you from something. It will save you from eternal damnation. It doesn't save us from death. It's appointed to man once to die. So unless we're living in that amazing little group that I believe the rapture will eventually come for and we're out of here like the twinkling of an eye that Paul writes about in 1 Thessalonians, unless you're in that group, you will die. And you're going to believe in Jesus from now until you die. You carry that to the tomb with you. So unless you're willing to say, I believe this unto death, don't start going and trying to disciple someone else. If you're trying to disciple them with good vibes and good ideas and, you know, we just want to have a good life. That's what my ministry is. You have a good life. Where, where is that in here? That you're going to have a good life. You're blessed if you have a good life, and I hope you do. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. It's a guarantee that you're going to go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Now, so he knows that. So that's why he's preaching. For all things, verse 15, are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So it's all for your sakes. Good definition of Christian love. What he's doing here is he's pouring out of himself to tell others about Jesus, to show them Jesus. Not all about preaching. Have you noticed with Paul? It's not all about preaching. Notice that he never planted a church and then stayed to pastor it. He was never a pastor. Never. He was a church planter, and then he moved on. Interesting. See, we think today the only ministry, you know, the the viable ministry is to be a pastor. No. A viable ministry is for every one of us, and you'll reach more one-on-one. And what I'm saying is, is that your workplace, it's not just for work. Turn it into a place where if you're older or have a skill set, uh, you know, reach out to someone younger and say, yep, if you want to come and work here, work under me and start to mentor them. You know, take Sundays off because it also tells them, hey, this man or this woman, I'm, they're godly. And so they, they are aimed over here at the Lord. They're going to start watching you live your life because they're going to read you, not a Bible. And they're going to say, so this man or woman, they take off on Sunday and they go over there and, oh, they're going through a health problem or they're going through this or a financial disaster. How do they handle it? 
Oh, well, I see that they're hard-pressed, but they're not crushed. Where my buddy over here, they get hard-pressed and they fall apart. You know, they're off drinking and drugs and all the rest of it, but you're hard-pressed, but you're still kind of together, at least spiritually. And we see if it's real, if it's not fake and phony, they start seeing Jesus in you and they say, I want that. I want to be able to be hard-pressed and still, I can still manage to crack a smile. I mean, that's, and isn't that what we all want? That's what the world wants too. They just don't know where to get it until we show them. And when we do, we pray that the Lord works in their life to draw them and to do the Spirit to do His work. And we do our part. We share Christ and God does the rest. So don't lose heart. And if you see your outward man's perishing, it's biblical. Okay? It's what it says. Your outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man, the heart, it's being renewed day by day. That means it's getting stronger and stronger. And then, no, I don't agree with Paul here. Okay, I'm always clear if I don't agree with the Bible. I just read through the list of what Paul said he's going through. And then he says, for our light affliction. There's nothing light about that, man. He was killed at Derby, drug out. You know, little Timothy, you know, little Timmy. Remember Timothy in the Bible, written first, second Timothy? That later... Uh, so, so it wasn't Timothy yet. It was just little Timmy in the village. He comes out and there's dead Paul. You know, and this is like his mentor. And then Paul jumps up because he comes back to life and he runs back into the village. And so Timmy, you know, is in there going, wow. That was, that's how he got introduced to the Lord. And that's, that's, that's Paul. That's his light affliction. He goes through a list later where he says he was beaten all the different times. He was shipwrecked, left for dead in the water floating out in the ocean, left for dead. That's bad. I mean, I've been out on the water, and, and uh, you know, lakes are one thing. The open sea is very different to me. And coming from West Texas, where a lot of water is a water trough, you know, like I was always ex- extremely happy if my water trough was full. So you get out to California somewhere, get on the ocean, it's a lot of water. It scares me to death. Paul's left out there for dead, you know, all this stuff happening. Uh, and he calls all of it a light affliction. Here's the thing. It's the lens that we see it through. How long is this going to last? Only a lifetime. That's it. <laughs> I know that sounds like, oh my goodness, how old are you? Well, you'd hope to be older if you're going to say that, but it's only going to last for a lifetime, and then you've got eternity with the Lord. And if you could see it from his viewpoint, I think we would really lighten up on what we're going through. And it's always funny. All of us look at our own trials like it's Calvary, you know, I'm climbing Calvary. And then you look at your brother over there and say, it's a molehill. You know, you don't have any trials, uh, you know. But we, we do that with each other, you know. And so we, we take this guy's Calvary and we make it our molehill. Or we say, your Calvary is a molehill. And all these different ways of looking at everybody else's trials, the, the fact is we go through a lot of stuff in life. And I don't want to take that away. We've got teenagers, they're, they're suicidal. They look in the mirror and they hate themselves. They... They, the, the anxiety, the depression, the bullying, the, all these things, and they start weighing us down in life. If Look, you're going to fight a fight in life, whether you're a believer or not a believer, okay? Paul said when he got to the end of his, he said, I have fought the good fight. Fight the right fight. Paul just now said, this is a good one. I feel good every day. You know, if, if I'm going through trials when I'm serving the Lord, I go, well, it's all worth it. If I go through a trial and I realize, well, I did that to myself, Justin. That was a business deal that I didn't have to do. I got wrapped up in it. Uh, I pitted me against somebody else. I got into a thing. And then I look at it and go, this is a bad fight. It's not worth it. 
Uh, one word that I run from in this world, and these days it's a good word, drama. I don't like it. I run from it. So I don't have a Facebook account. Um, I just, I don't like drama, you know, and uh, it's the wrong fight. This is the right fight. Tell somebody about Jesus, pour into somebody's life. Now, finishing our chapter up, he says this light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You ever wonder why you're going through a light affliction or a trial? Because it's working something far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory out in you. So it's working something out that God knows you need. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, uh, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? Now, as we end here, and I, I thought about this most of this last week. Like, well, how do you, how do you teach this? And I ended up looking at it this way. What we see in this room this morning is the physical. Okay? It's each other. You know, we all judge each other when we get to church. Like, man, he didn't do much with his hair. You know, I know you're not thinking that of me, but, um, you know, so you're looking and saying, you know, well, they, they dressed up, well, they didn't dress up, and they're late, and they're early, and they're this or that, or all these things that we can just look and see. Or you may even judge somebody and say, well, they're frustrated this morning, or they're mad, or, or he doesn't like me, she doesn't like me, or whatever. It's, that's the physical, okay? Um, then there's the spiritual. There's what, in other words, what's actually going on in the room. And in this room this morning, even in church, there's a war. Trust me, the forces of the evil one are gathered outside the doors. The Holy Spirit is here as well. And there is a battle set up. And I know this to be true because the Bible says so. In 2 Kings 6, verse 17, coolest story, it's Elisha. You all know the stories, you know, doing, dealing with Elisha. So Elisha kind of hacked off the king of Syria because he would pray and be given visions and all of what's going on in the king's bedchamber. And in, in other words, with his war council, he would know and go tell the king of Israel, hey, this is the plan. This is how they're going to attack or what they're going to do. So the Syrian king is getting really frustrated that Elisha's over here with the help of the Lord, obviously, giving away all of his secrets of war. So he, he doesn't, now this is Elisha, one man, and he's got one servant in a tent. So the, the king, he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send the army down there and we're going to get this dude. So he sends the Syrian army and they go and they surround the camp where Elisha and his servant is. Now, then they're asleep. So it says this uh, next morning, uh, the servant he rose early, it says there, in 2 Kings 6, verse 15. The servant of the man of God, of Elisha, he rose early, like you do if you're camping, and he went out, and there was an army <laughs> surrounding uh, that place with horses and chariots. So his servant said to him, to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I would have said more than that. But um, yeah, yeah. alas, my master, what shall we do? Because uh, you're not going to win this battle in the physical, looking around. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he's like, it's two to thousands. So then Elisha prayed. <laughs> and he said, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. 
And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the Syrians came down to him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray with blindness. So they all were struck with blindness. So anyway, the two of them uh, ended up leading all the Syrians out of there, didn't kill them. Uh, The Lord had his day. But see, the young man, when he walks out, isn't that you and I? We walk out and go, oh, no, it's Corona time around here. It's rioting. It's mayhem. What's happening? The world's falling apart. God, where are you? And if you would just pray and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Give me ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. Remember that phrase used in Revelation over and over? Pray for it. Pray for discernment. Because then you're going to look at somebody's life so different. When they're going through all these trials, you're going to be able to look at it and go, God ordered and ordained that. I'm going to sit back and let God do his work. God is in charge of this coronavirus. He invented the things. He's in charge of it. He's in charge of what's happening. And he's allowing all this to happen, and there is a host of heaven behind it. There's a host of heaven surrounding you today and me. There's forces of good and forces of evil. There's a spiritual war going on. So um, how is that encouraging as you leave here? Well, quit looking at what's happening and just saying it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But start looking and saying, I think God's forces are here and maybe he's trying to get everybody to heaven. And uh, he's working something out here. So you can go home this week. I really encourage you. Look at your personal ministries. Look at how am I going to start doing what Paul's doing personally, sharing the love of Christ, not because I'm going to start spouting scripture at somebody, but just start mentoring somebody with the talents God gave me, the workplace, the whatever it is, hobbies, whatever you have. Bring them out there. Get them involved. Young people or young in spirit, they're all looking for those people that will say, hey, come here. Let's show you something. Teach them how to be godly. Point them to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Read ahead. We'll we'll cover the entire next chapter next time. And he's going to move back to the resurrection.